Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, welcome to another batch of scientific thinking in the media and marketing sector. We have the the same esteemed panel we have for part one of the series around marketing science. With us today is Julie Hutchinson, the marketing director at Volvo, John Broom, CEO at the AANA, Sadeep Gohill, who's a partner at KPMG, and John Bradshaw, who is the principal at Brand Traction. And the reason why we're here today, if you haven't heard the the first part, part one, John has written a paper that summarises pretty much the theory of everything in marketing science. And for all of us who don't like to read too much, this is the paper to read. It'll take you 30 minutes and it covers the universal theories on everything that we do as an industry. Part one, as I said, was around behavioural economics, consumer psychology, brand building versus performance marketing, penetration per the laws of uh, Byron Sharp at Ehrenberg Bass. This week, we are going to talk around the science around media, the possibly more contentious theme. So welcome to you all. John Bradshaw, might start with you first, given you are to blame for this deep and meaningful conversation we're having. And you may have just massively overhyped it there slightly, the grand theory of absolutely everything. Yes. Now, now Sorry you're for the disappointment, the... folks, when you get the final product and it doesn't cover absolutely everything in marketing much this shall we say uh but john give us the uh the take on um the quick summary of what we what the key things are around marketing science and then we're going to get into today's discussion yeah it's worth just setting the context for today's conversation i think so what we talked about last time is that most decisions that humans make are made in a much more intuitive instinctive fashion than marketers have traditionally believed the economic rational decision making theory is pretty much debunked So we start here with they're not really making rational thought-through choices. If we do want to kind of shape that irrational behavior, we need these three things present, which are the motivation to want the thing in the first place, ease of buying and shopping that thing, and then the application of some kind of trigger that says, buy my left one rather than the one on the right. And an ideal combination of those three things helps the marketer shape the behaviors they want. Um, the Ehrenberg Bass Institute and Byron Sharp in particular have said, and the specific behavior you should want most of all is the behavior that acquires and gets a consumer or a shopper or or a buyer or a driver to buy you at least once. And therefore the accumulation of a bigger pool of even lower frequency shoppers is the way that brands grow rather than trying to get an existing base to buy more. So lots more light buyers, less heavy buyers and more of them. Is that essentially underpins it or not? A little careful when we start to talk about the accumulation of light buyers. The way penetration building works is we acquire a range of consumers, some of whom will be heavy, some of whom with light. By by mathematics, more of them will be light because that's how it's worked. But when the marketer gets tied up in the knots about, oh, how do I find who a light buyer is? And how do, I acquire, how do I acquire just light buyers and not heavy buyers? When today's heavy buyer is a light buyer tomorrow and is back to a heavy buyer the day after. There's some misinterpretation of Byron that's very common that says we should target light users. It sounds like I just fell for that misinterpretation, did I? A little bit, Paul. Thank you very much, which is why you're here, John. And, and the final bit of that was the work from Les Binet and Peter Field in the UK that says, yeah, yeah, it's all very good. Penetration is the most important thing. 
but marketers live in a world where they've got short-term targets as well as long-term targets. Their evidence suggests that a balance of 60% on brand building or penetration driving activity and 40% on shorter-term sales activation work actually gets a multiplier effect for the brand. It's even better than a pure penetration play in the marketing plan because you get the multiplier effect when you get those two things in about the right ratio. And in general, that's about 60-40. Good summary. That's from the last episode. Now We could have done the last episode in five minutes. We could have, except that we wouldn't have the final... In addition to what uh, Mr Bradshaw is talking about, we have a very good discussion in part one from the panellists on uh, their views on all this. But to the rest, we are now getting to the, the fuzzy discussion around the laws or principles or science in media and advertising. Um, let's start with media and measurement first and uh, perhaps... Two big themes, share of voice equals share of market and the spend, that share of voice, uh, should it go on reach, frequency or something else? So just give us a give us a, what's going on and thinking uh, around the world that you're seeing, Mr Bradshaw. Yeah, well, let's try and kind of boil this down to three so that we can have a kind of meaningful conversation. First of all, also from Les and Peter in the UK, an observation that brands that grew, um, campaigns that were effective in the UK over a period of about 10 years, um, spent above their market share. It's a little slightly complicated thing to understand. Let me try and kind of unpick it a little bit, which is their share of media voice, um, how much they spent versus all of the other competitors in their market on media, needed to be greater than their actual revenue market share in the market, which makes very intuitive sense if you think about it right if i wish to grow i need to spend a little bit more than i am currently being and the average yeah yeah and the second observation there was and what you should be spending that money on is reaching more people go back to the notion that brands grow from getting lots of people's to change their mind a very little bit that makes entire sense spend a larger amount of money than your market share and spend that on reach is this a contentious view, though? It may not be applied, but do people disagree with this this principle? John Broom, firstly, is it applied? Yes, it is, and uh, I applied it for many, many years uh, through very stable brands um, that, that I was lucky enough to manage. I think the challenge comes, though, when um, you're a small brand, right, and you just simply cannot, you don't have the access to the financial resources to actually put it into practice. So what are your options in, in, in those situations? And there's plenty of examples of small brands punching well above their weight and growing and succeeding. So I think it's, I think it's a, it's, it's, it may not be a law, um, but it's certainly an industry rule of thumb. Sadeep, um, can I ask you about that? But also in the context of uh, if you think about some of the proponents that have built their businesses and their brand startups, if you like, and certainly direct-to-consumer startups, build it on the opposite theory, which is super cheap in social and search and drive the business through there. And if you looked at their competitors, they're probably spending way, way less in terms of share of voice, but they have built quite significant businesses. That's starting to change. We hear that as, you know, peaked really uh that that sort of strategy but that's some 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 food for for, for your thought uh Sadeep on on all this yeah I mean I was just gonna uh, add to that I, mean, I think one of the things is different brand it feels like different brands and different categories operate in different ways based on on some of what you were just saying there John but perhaps more significantly where the brand is in its life cycle so to your point Paul like the newer brands that have less to lose, less to protect, or it seem to be a lot more provocative and a lot more distinctive and therefore use their media in a very different way. 
whether they're startups or, or 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 not. I think a lot of it then, from my perspective, seems to come down to well, what's the competitive set look like, and then how far are you prepared to go above or up far away from how what their behaviour is to be distinctive and to kind of use your media in a different way, perhaps. John Bradshaw. I think Suds touched on probably the, the only issue in what's a fabulous body of work from kind of Les and Peter, which is it's an advertising-based study. Uh, and therefore, these are rules of advertising. There are other ways of driving penetration uh, and consumer growth for a brand beyond advertising. Um, physical availability being the most obvious one. If you put yourself in more stores, in more places... Um, search, you know, if you, you know, if you're more easily discoverable in the internet than your competitor, these things will work to drive penetration as well as advertising. So it is possible to have low ESOV and still have brand growth. ESOV, you better tell for the punter. Extra share of voice, so a media spend that is a greater share of media than your market share. And Julia does get us to your strategy at the moment, which is ESOV, extra share of voice. Now, tell us about what you think about the conversation so far. Do you buy it? Is it are you, have you questioned this? Are you deploying this? Where are you at at Volvo? Absolutely. Um, I'm deploying it at the moment. I haven't got the final outcomes, but we go through quite a lengthy process for budget approvals and we run on the calendar year. So they're running behind a little bit at the moment, but I was advised late last year, your budget will be flat. Don't expect any any further additional money. It's part of the, the game. I understand that. So I thought, how do I get more? How do I make sure? And when I looked at ESOV, which quite frankly, I only discovered last year uh, for the first time, I looked at it and it seemed to make so such sense to me that I thought, I'll give it a shot. And uh, went up to the regional... Um, directors and, and, and CFOs who you're speaking to and said, this is the logic I want to apply. We did have excess share of voice, um, but we didn't have enough based on our ambitions to grow um, at the rate that we want to grow. So it's in the works. Um, it was well received. I was going to say, how was it received? Yeah, really well received. Interestingly, was it new to them as well, the, the concept yes. of ESOV? Yes, they hadn't seen it. And uh, they said, you know, this is, this is what we'd like to see more of. Um, so it, it just goes to show that when you're told, sorry, you can't have something, you know, it's worth looking for a case if you really believe in it, um, to push harder and to ask, ask for more, which was our casing point. Going back to your point though, um, Jonathan, around, uh, small brands, I was, um, you know, I've been researching this quite a lot just from a work point of view. And, uh, I saw that Mark Ritson mentioned that if you're a small brand, his point of view is you stay a small brand. Um, if you're not willing to put the money in, if you're not willing, if you've got these growth ambitions um, but you're not willing to invest in excess share of voice, then, you know, it's it's not going to work. It's, it, it, it's, it's you're not investing in the brand. So that might be a very simplistic view but it was just a view I saw and I, I think it's harsh but, you know, there's some truth is to that, it. But I is think. that true though? I mean, you t- take, a, take the mattress category, for example, a brand like Koala mm-hmm. arguably spends probably, well, way less than its bigger mainstream competitors, but it's a business that's probably worth way more than those businesses are and has grown way more rapidly. So I don't think it's it's quite as black and white as, don't tell Mark I disagreed with him, but it's like it's not quite <laughs> as black and white as that, I don't think, particularly in this day and age, because your point, John, you can grow brands 
in multiple ways. It's not about, and I'm not talking about just putting money into digital or into another type of medium. I think there are multiple ways because consumers behave in very different ways. Mm. You know, we don't sit around, unfortunately, waiting to see ads to decide mm. what products to buy. So, and I, I, I totally recognize that, you know, we, we, it's easy for us to talk about the exceptions rather than the rule, but it feels like those rules, as we've kind of started off talking about, are changing pretty rapidly um, uh, as, we're, as we're almost as we're sitting here. <laughs> yes. I, I think it's most probably a little bit more sophisticated than simply, you know, outspending your, com- your competitors. I think it's about how do you go about getting that share of mind amongst your target audience? And that opens you up to all sorts of different ways as we were, as we were talking earlier. And, and it goes back to the principles of, you know, mental availability, you know, and brand saliency that, uh, that, that, that Sharp obviously advocates for. So to all of you, actually, I mean, I find it interesting, two things. Julie talked about how extra share of voice is a concept that's new to her in the last 12 months and that it's completely foreign to, you know, the regional heavies at a very large auto manufacturer like Volvo. Why is that so? Is that common? You, you've been at Kellogg and Unilever. John, what happens there? The, the level of sophistication around what works, what best practice is, is very advanced. And certainly my experience at Kellogg's was is that uh, it was right. And, you know, once you've developed a success model for a brand, uh, to John's earlier point, don't walk away from it. You know, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. And of course, the temptation of any new marketer coming in, you know, in, you know, to lead that team is to make their mark. And it takes a tremendous discipline to respect the fact that actually this brand that you're now managing is going to be around for a lot longer than you are. Sadeep, do you, in the conversations you have at KPMG with your clients, um, is, is something like ESOV uh, used? Is it credible to, you know, from a consulting firm to use that sort of measurement? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it it is. I mean, I've not had a direct conversation about it, but but I think it, it makes both intuitive sense and also mathematically it makes sense, right? I mean, as, as John was saying before, if you want to grow your business, you need to kind of push a little bit harder. So absolutely, it would be it would definitely be the type of conversation that we could be having. It begs the question: Why are we not seeing as many companies deploy this strategy, even though they may technically agree with it? And secondly. We seem to be all in unison on this one. Um, we're all in agreement. What would be John Bradshaw the pushback against ESOV as a as a, a, a relevant strategy? It's exactly the circumstance that Julie was finding herself in, which is budgets come top down. Budgets are either flat or flat plus X, and the ESOV equation is not baked into the budget naturally. It's something the marketing director has to push in. And I certainly like a few of others around the table. I've managed enough marketing budgets to know just magic in extra three or four million dollars out of the media budget by cutting something else is not always is not always possible. There, there tends to be a huge percentage of spend that's pre-committed before you even start to build your budget. Sorry, the other thing I would add is is that. Um, the marketing budget is set through a PNL, um, and it's not necessarily di- link, directly linked uh, mathematically to a market share objective or a volume target. And I think as science um, and evidence uh, develops, um, we'll be able to do that with uh, you know increasing confidence going forward. It is interesting because this all then leads us to a, ah, but zero-based budgeting would be uh, would be the way we would resolve this, right? Uh, and the fact is most marketing organizations are too complex for a pure zero-based budgeting appro- approach to work because we do not have the maths that says if I spend X and Y 
on A and B, then the result will be C and D, he said, running out of letters fairly quickly. Um, um, and because of that, you start with the best intentions in a zero-based budgeting exercise and you end up mostly bullshitting your way into pretty much last year plus 5%. It's kind of... Well, it should be the aspiration, but I, having tried to do it on multiple times, it's very hard, even with Kellogg Unilever sophistication data, never mind those who don't have that level of investment in analytics and data. Well, let's try to get to attention because it is a very sexy theme and it is global as well. What is the current thinking then uh, to any of you on attention uh, in regards to media and advertising? What is, the, what is the prevailing thinking now? What is clear from all of the studies that I've read is that different channels have different attention and that any channel claiming to have a high attention rate in the advertising section of it um, is mostly bullshitting to the people it's trying to sell. It's mostly selling to media. High or higher? Because higher would be reasonable. Uh, higher, but the last study I saw said television still has the highest attention rates of, of any channel, but even then it's somewhere around 48%, if I remember them. So the notion that half your advertising is wasted is absolutely true, because if, you, if you're measuring things on top, it's not getting watched. So, so, so this is the work of Dr. Karen Nelson-Field, of course. Um, and um, the, the simple takeaway is that not all reach is created equal um, and that I think um, marketers have to be uh, very careful with how they put you know, their media mix together um, and understand uh, the relevant uh, or the respective attention delivery of each channel that they're, that they're using um, because... Um, you know, and, and unfortunately, it, the, the situation is confused for marketers because we've got channels competing with each other, um, not necessarily giving us um, equal access, access to the same measurement uh, system to be able to actually make informed decisions. Um, I think this will change. Um, you know, the, globally now there's a big conversation around uh, cross-channel media audience measurement, um, which will level the playing field um, uh, when, once that's introduced. Um, but r right now, yes, I think marketers need to pay attention to, you know, what is, what is the attention performance of the channel that they're using? Especially when people are starting to pair, compare things on a cost basis. Ah, but digital is so much cheaper is the kind of thing. Yeah, but if it's cheaper with a tenth of the attention rate, like, is it, re is it really cheaper or is it just cheap? And like, and... Again, the mathematics is quite hard and the science isn't, you know, isn't exhaustive on this stuff. So there's definitely marketer judgment as well as application of mathematic and science here, I think. Well, on that, Julie, you will have, you will have like multiple uh, arrows coming at you to go, buy this, think this, this is great, this is not. How are you juggling um, the, the tension between where you place uh, your money and which channels uh, for optimized effectiveness what are you doing how's that working through for you at the moment yeah good question uh for me i try as much as possible to take that long-term view so uh back to the earlier point around how much spend so it's about 70 30 brand versus tactical uh and then for that brand layer i lock it down as much as possible for the 12 months so i'll do a a, a deal um, with the networks on TV and then likewise on another channel being out of home. But multi-channel we know works um, incredibly well. The more channels, the better, uh, the data tells us. But I try and make sure that I have that commitment in place. Even if I don't know what message I'm going to say 
later on in the year. I know the spots are, are locked. And more importantly, I know that, you know, if I'm on TV and if I'm planning it 12 months out in advance, I'm probably going to get the best placements rather than planning it, you know, a couple of weeks, 12 weeks even in advance. So it's about having that impact um, well in advance and having it locked down. Um, early on. So you're a strategic planner, a global strategy planner on, on, on Nike for a, a, a hot shop in, in the US. Did this come into your fr- attention back then? Did it come into your frame and where does it sit now in terms of what you're doing at KPMG? They did actually. That was pretty much the only medium we had. It's interesting. I think one of the things that it was at Widen and one of the things that Widen had, which I think many agencies kind of lament nowadays is that the media the media planning and the creative was all done together and a lot of times the creative part of the ideation process was done with the media people and the creative team sitting together right so you would go hey we could buy the first ad in the uh, opening game uh, of the uh, NBA finals so you know, what story could we tell at that particular moment in time, knowing that this team's playing and that team's playing or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think there was a lot broader thought and I don't think anyone actually sat down and said, hey, you know, how are we going to maximise attention? But I think it happened through the confluence of creative and media sitting together where it was much easier to go, well, these are the variables that we know. How do we then dial them all up? to make sure that people are really talking about our message. And I think one of the big conversations that we used to have creatively and strategically was always, how do we make sure that people are talking about our work? Um, Now, I guess you could say that is attention um, with another name, but it was the the core focus of, you know, money was, uh, unfortunately, money was no object, right? I mean, we would often spend millions and millions of dollars just to run one particular spot at one particular moment in time. Uh, but I think that was, um, and and the brand still does that very much, right? I mean, if you think about what they do around the World Cup and the Olympics and stuff like that, it's it's a very proven methodology for them, uh, which I guess in hindsight you go, yeah, I guess that is about attention on some level. Mm. It gets fuzzy though, doesn't it? Because it, it, literally what you're talking about there is, is the combination of creative and channel planning to create the maximum impact or attention. And we are here sitting here trying to isolate the channel attention uh, ratio or putting a number to it without the creative. And I guess we're going to get to that in a minute, in a few minutes with the creative argument. But there is a blend there. It's, a, it's, it's an intuitively common sense way to tackle things, but we've split it up and we split media from the message and somehow trying to... And as Julie says, in order to achieve maximum reach so to spend your extra share of voice well you're going to need multiple channels in the mix in order to deliver on the on a high reach target um for me the simple thing here the simple takeaway for here is don't compare cost per thousand between channel without thinking about attention and if that's all you do that's a great takeout from that and beyond that it all gets really quite complicated and i'll just extend that thought one step further um a lot of marketers now are coming, becoming very um, output-focused um, as opposed to input-focused. So if you link with what John's just said with, so what result did I get, you can then start to optimise uh, as, as a result. To, to wrap up, do we then think, uh, what does the panel think about the fact that there is differences in attention delivery by channel? So a channel can deliver something without the creative message. There is something innate in the channel itself that does better, television versus um social feeds or whatever it might be do so do are we all in agreement here or what do we think i agree 
Um, I, I think there is increasing knowledge around the fact that uh, channels uh, play different roles in your media mix, that their performance uh, is different, but also that sometimes they can complement each other. Um, and that, you know, that, that package can be optimized. Um, and if you're then centering it on, okay, what's it delivering me? What's my business outcome? Am I achieving the results I'm looking for? Then you've got confidence that you've made the right choice. Sadeep, your take? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree as well. I mean, and, and I take a step back and just look at it from personal consumption perspective, right? Like what things have more impact on me, um, whether I'm looking to buy a product or not, I think the, the ones where they have a greater um, scale or impact or, or kind of presence from my perspective feel like they have greater, offer you greater attention. Um, so whether it's big out, big format out, large format outdoor or television um, in the right place, um, I mean, I think there's a there's a time and a place for digital, but there just seems to be so much of it that it's hard to kind of even compare it often. So it's definitely not comparing apples to apples. Well, this is Karen Nelson-Field, Dr. Karen Nelson-Field's argument, right? The size of the screen and the size of the ad within the screen actually does matter. Um, that's one of the takeouts on on uh, on channel effectiveness. Um, Julie, you're, you're, you believe, right? You think there is differences between channels. Most certainly. And I have to say, I feel like a dinosaur most of the time when I'm speaking to people and I say, I want TV or I want out of home. And and they look at me and they think, are you, are you serious sometimes? Just even in dialogues with peers, um, right. you know, like it's a bit, it's a little bit old school to be saying, you know, TV It's a bit rich ways. for you. You're definitely under 35. Oh, I wish. <laughs> Too smooth. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think you've got to look at the effectiveness, and I think the data shows that you know there are channels, and they all have different catalytic effects. And I would say that yeah, the data shows that TV definitely has um, a great impact when you pair that with other channels as well. Those impacts are even greater. So um, definitely look at the channels and make sure that you don't just uh, get sold what's hot and what's new. Um, but you know some of those those channels that have been around for a long time still have proven results. I agree with everything the panel has said. And I think the one thing that that can help shine a bit of light on this conversation is Bennett and Fields' brand building sales activation split mm -hmm. and thinking about what type of channels would be best to have a long-term increase in people being able to remember and positively associate things with my brain. You know, is that a few few words in a post or a picture in Instagram or is that a 30-second um, advert on a widescreen cinema screen? If I need someone to click on something right now in order to go to my site and stick it in a shopping cart, is a big widescreen television ad the right thing to do for that job? And, uh, and whilst it's a very blunt tool... Actually, in the absence of, you know, really sophisticated data that would be needed to kind of really noodle that thought all the way to, you know. Do you think, though, John, that marketers are deep enough, generally, Julie aside, marketers are generally deep enough in the weeds to understand attention by channel? Are they really factoring attention in? Not at the moment. It's not happening? No. Uh, and hence the drive for marketing efficiency lowering the cost per thousand without the sophistication of the layer of, yeah, but to John Broom's point, not all reach is created equal, so you can't add up CPMs. And if I, was a, if I was a brand manager of a traditional brand, one of the questions I'd be asking myself is, why are digital play brands like Hypages and Uber 
you know, investing so much in TV, outdoor, print, and so forth. I've, I've had more leaflet drops from Uber Eats through my mailbox than I think from any other brand, you know. Well, and even, and you're right, and you're right, it's a great point, John uh, Broom, because in the US, uh, the, the, the causal factor for the uh, increases in media spend in the US is coming all from the digital uh, uh, pure plays and the technology companies that are advocating um, performance themselves on their platforms and absolutely going for brand in legacy media from out of home to, news- to newspapers as well, by the way. And I have, I've had uh, direct mail flyers from Google, to your point, John. So interesting, right, um, that, that there's all this, this sort of mix-up. Well, as per usual, I've learnt more than I expected to um, and that surprises me every week. So thank you all. Julie Hutchinson from Volvo, John Broom from the AA, Sadeep Gohill from KPMG and John Bradshaw from Brad Traction. Thank you. And as we've plugged relentlessly, you can actually get the whole whole kit and caboodle, everything we're talking about, in a pa- white paper from John Bradshaw at Brand Traction. Check that one out. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next week and thank you all. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.